will do fine, thank you. Uh, this is uh, no offense, but you are a robot, aren't you? That is correct, sir. For your convenience, I am monitored to respond to the name Robbie. Nice climate you have here. High oxygen content. I rarely use it myself, sir. It promotes rust. What kind of a sick school is this? Strange things are afoot at the Circle K. You're gonna need a bigger boat. Surely you can't be serious. I am serious, and don't call me Shirley. You got spunk. I hate spunk. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger. Oh, righty then. How you doing? Back off, man. I'm a scientist. Don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. Say hello to my little friend. I love to celebrate from in the morning. What are you people? On dope? Stop whining. I got a crap on your deck that can choke a donkey. Who is your daddy? I'm sorry, but all questions must be submitted in writing. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Can I do that? I'll be back. A dynamite! Up your nose when you have a phone. What? I'm sailing! I'm sailing! Groovy. You, you want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it. Pull it down. Love means never having to say you're sorry. Here's looking at you, kid. We got no food. We got no jobs. Our pets' heads are falling off! Go to the coast. We get together. Have a few laughs. Hear that, Elizabeth? <laughs> I'm coming to join you, honey. I'm not a doctor, but I play one on TV. I love it when a plan comes together. What we do is if we need that extra push over the cliff, you know what we do? Put it up to 11. 11, exactly. One louder. Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder? These go to 11. We're on a mission from God. Hello and welcome to episode four of Then Is Now podcast, the show where we talk about pop culture of the past and how it relates to the present. We try to introduce you to all the cool stuff that you may have missed out on. Um, you're going to find that uh, myself and my co-host Spency Domepiece had a little trouble trying to remember what number episode this is. Uh, and sometimes I even had trouble recalling the actual title of the film, although I know full well that the film we discussed today is the science fiction classic Forbidden Planet. One that has yet to be remade, and hopefully it will never, ever, ever be remade. It stars Leslie Nielsen, Walter Pidgeon, and Anne Francis. Forbidden Planet is a classic science fiction movie, and in my book, this is something that even if you don't see it, you should know about it. You should know who Robbie the Robot is, at least. You should at least know the basic premise of the plot. But I highly implore you to go out and see the film. Go get it. Go rent it. Netflix it. Whatever you got to do, go see Forbidden Planet, and then come back and listen to our discussion. Now, um, we're going to go into all that detail when the discussion begins, but for now, I'd like to give out our contact information. If you would like to email us, please do so at thenisnow42 
at gmail.com. That's all one word, lowercase, then is now, the number 42 at gmail.com. And you can check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash then is now podcast. And you probably found us either through iTunes or um, through our website, horrorhaven.com. And that's it. So hopefully you'll enjoy episode four of Then Is Now Podcast. Class is in session. I have a bad feeling about this. How could I possibly be expected to handle school on a day like this? Food fight! Hey, you in my class? I am today. I think you should consider transferring to shock class. Now, now, very few students are severely injured in shock class. Bueller. When you were in school. Bueller. Did you ever cut class? Bueller. Yeah, I guess I did. Sure, most kids cut classes. Good, sign this. Um, he's sick. I get so lonely when I hear that third attendance bell ring and all my kids are not here. Seven years of college down the drain. Fat, drunk, and stupid is no way to go through life, son. You lack discipline. As long as I'm here, there will be no grades or gold stars or demerits. We're going to have recess all the time. Woo! Go, play, and have fun now. Do you remember what episode this is? What number? I'm not going to lie. I go to a, like a high school youth group at my church, and we just call it number seven, but we're on like 45 or something. Well, that was Mad Jack's Donkey in uh, the Grizzly Adams show, but you don't remember that. That's a show for another day. I was alive at a different time. Yes, he was alive at a different time. Hello, and welcome to Then Is Now. We're in the newest episode, and I'm sure at the beginning I've already told you what episode number this is, because at the moment we can't think of what it is, but the topic is going to be the film... Forbidden Planet. Forbidden Planet. I keep wanting to say Fantastic Voyage. I don't know why. I think we're going to have to do that one. Okay. That I mean, that one's got Raquel Welch and Donald Pleasance. So. This one had Leslie Nielsen. And Leslie Nielsen and Anne Francis. So. Um, so, first of all, to get things out of the way here, if you want to communicate with us at thenisnow42 at gmail.com. Thenisnow42 at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook. We're at facebook.com slash thenisnowpodcast. Uh, we do have a sponsor this week. It's a um, it's uh, uh, one of our co-hosts from another show. They have an Instagram. It's called Wild dot Parties. That's Wild W I L D dot P O R T A dot P O T T I E S. That's Wild Porta Parties, uh, and it's not a dot com. It's just the Instagram. And apparently, this person catches porta parties in the wild. It's also hashtag Porta Potties Lives Matter. So if you need that, it's P O T T I E S, Porta Potties Lives Matter. And that's a hashtag at the beginning, which used to be a pound sign. I don't know why they call it a hashtag now. I mean, I guess people like to eat hash or corned beef hash or uh, something. It's uh, just a social media thing. It's a way of like finding certain, you label photos or posts like that, and it's a way of finding it. With I, I know content. what it is. I just don't know why they call it hashtag instead of number sign or pound sign. It's uh, Hashtag is just a catchy name. It's like Frisbee. It's just a flying disc. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'll, I'll give you that one, actually. It, calling it flying disc will not catch on as good as a Frisbee. Right. Or, or flying saucer. Yeah, cut on better than a. It's not a UFO. It's just because people know what it is. It's, <laughs> it would. It is a flying saucer, I suppose. But interesting, interesting. And um, all right, so there's so many things going on in the world. I'm your host Rigor, and I'm here today with my co-host Spency Domepiece. That's my full name. You can just call me Spency. Spency. And now Spency's saying he doesn't have a YouTube page, oh. but I think you should give it out anyways. I I do have a YouTube page. It is my name, Spency Domepiece. But it is a space between Spency and Dompies. I just have not been posting recently due to unforeseen circumstances, school. 
So, um, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm trying to get back. As into we it. record this at the end of July, school was his excuse for not. I, doing it. I'm getting back into it. Give me some time. It's it's a work in progress. I know. Trust me. I'm what I'm gonna start doing is I'm just gonna be recording for like seven, eight hours in one day, and uh, then I'll just put it out over the course of seven, eight weeks, and uh, I'll just record again. Excellent. In, in Excellent. Okay, so today's show we're gonna talk about Forbidden Planet, which I think is a. Um, it's not only a classic science fiction film, but I, I feel it's required viewing. I think that the younger audience of today should see it at some point. Now, I'm going to preface this by saying something that I hadn't thought of until we actually sat down to watch it. Now, when we sat down to watch it, well, first of all, let me back up a second here. Then is now a podcast, if I haven't described it to you in the beginning. It's a show where we talk about things from the past and how they relate to the present, but it's also stuff that that young people should know if they don't know it already get them sit them down put them in the car with you and put this podcast on because they need this information okay so forbidden planet is a classic science fiction film from the year 1956 i know it sounds like a long time ago but it's only how many years did we say 71 61 61 years ago that's not that long ago it's only like four lifetimes right or plenty of people have grandparents that are that old but um, it's a great movie, and I feel that young people today should see it for, for very many reasons, and I'll get into those reasons later on. Um, so the plot revolves around a starship crew that goes to investigate the silence of a planet's colony because Earth is at the point where we have colonies in outer space, and that's not really science fiction anymore. I mean, there are companies talking about putting colonies on the moon and colonies on the Mars now, on the Mars, yeah. on Mars now. Yeah. Um, so this this um, starship crew goes out to find out what happened to them because they disappeared, and they find two survivors, and a deadly secret that one of them has. Uh, just so you're aware, there will be spoilers. So uh, the movie's been out for 61 years. Please go see it. Yes, if you have not seen Forbidden Planet, go and see it now. Pause the pause the podcast. Go see it now, and then come back because we are going to spoil the crap out of this film. Well, we kind of have to. I mean, yeah. we can't. It's it's hard to dissect a film you, you, in, without spoiling it. Right. I agree with that, especially this film. Um, so, this film stars Walter Pigeon. Now, I'm going to say up front, because I know people might write in and talk about this, but um, there was a Gilgan's Island episode where they, they found a carrier pigeon, and oh. they were going to send a message back with the carrier pigeon to, to home mm -hmm. so they could get rescued. And in the show, Gilligan names the pigeon Walter. And Skipper says, oh, because of Walter Pigeon, the actor? And he goes, no, because of my friend Walter. He was pigeon-toed. Ah. Oh. Insert sound womp, here. Womp, womp. Okay, says Walter Pigeon as Dr. Morbius. And Francis plays his daughter, Altera Morbius. And uh, Leslie Nielsen, of course, plays <laughs> Commander Adams. <laughs> and every time we talk about this... <laughs> Spency Dompiece cracks up. I don't understand. Well, I guess I, I kind of do understand. But okay. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go. Tell us. It. All right. Go into Leslie Nielsen. First of all, if, if you don't know who Leslie Nielsen is, you're going to have to get a refresher course because he's an actor who's been in a lot of movies, but he's most notable from. I'll give you guys a nice crash course on Leslie Nielsen. He's one of my favorite actors ever. He is. He was a serious actor for a while. Forbidden Planet is is evidence of that. But he is most known for his comedic performances in Top... Um, not a Top Secret. I'm sorry. Airplane. Yes. Airplane was his debut as a, as a comedian. And he was also in the remake of Mr. Magoo. Yes. Uh, and he was also in a movie called Spy Hard. 
Yes. I believe. And so like those and are a bunch all... of those um what are those those horror spoofs that they did too. Yeah. Yeah. And don't forget the Naked Gun films, which is based on the police squad TV show that he was in. Yeah. I don't know everything about him, but I love this man and he's a comedian actor to me. He is not he is not a seri- he's not in serious movies to me. So seeing this, every time he was on screen, I I had to hold in laughter and not proceed to die laughing because it was when you were watching Forbidden yeah. Planet. Forbidden Planet is a serious movie. It, t- it takes itself seriously. It is has a cohesive plot line. And Leslie Nielsen, to me, when I, for, from how long I've known him, has not been in movies that have cohesive like scenes. It's, it's always been about sight gags and all over airplane and spy hard. Things like that are just so it was so funny to me. So I'm so I'm watching him and it's like I look at his face and I'm I'm, I'm expecting a joke to come out, something, something non-serious to happen, and it, nothing happens. So, but the anticipation is just so funny to me. Well, and that's what makes it ent- entertaining is, you know, Leslie Nielsen. I mean, to me, he's both. Because he, I saw him in Creepshow. I saw him in Day of the Animals. I believe you saw Day of the Animals. And that was a tour de force for him. The, uh, uh, that movie was a force, I'll give you that. <laughs> William Girdler spectacular. <laughs> William Girdler, okay, don't get me started on Girdler. I've seen a couple of his films. Woo! The Manitou, you didn't like I the did. Man- he, it Spencer Dumpy's had problems with the Manitou. It, it was going great until the end, um, <laughs> until Star Wars, basically. <laughs> well, it was 1978. Sticking to Forbidden Planet here, it... Leslie Nielsen was is the captain of the ship, right? Yes. He is the captain, and he is a serious character, and I, I understand that. So if you don't know Leslie Nielsen, he's just another serious he's another serious actor, a serious character, but not to me. So I was so I am chuckling through the whole Leslie Nielsen scenes, and he ta- he's he's taking kind of the lead. So he takes a, a large chunk of the movie time. So, so this did alter my perception of Forbidden Planet. Through Leslie Nielsen, and not, it doesn't take away from it at all, but it, it did affect it for me. Yeah, and you know, I feel that you walked in expecting it to to do something to you because you knew Leslie Nielsen's comedic history. I, I knew I knew it was a serious movie, but it still did affect how I perceived the movie. Nonetheless, outside of Leslie Nielsen, it was it was a well put together movie. It was Disney correct? Um, no, it wasn't uh, a Disney film per se. But Disney was involved in the special effects. Ah, so for a 1956 movie, yeah, yeah. those effects were well done. Oh, yeah. Uh, Forbidden Planet has amazing, amazing special effects. Really good pacing, I think, for its time. Mm. I think um, this is one of those films that, uh, personally, I feel that modern audi- audiences should watch it because there are so many cool things about it. Now, all right, you, so you've got Walter Pigeon. Um, who played Dr. Morbius. You've got Anne Francis. She, uh, most of the audience listening to this, the younger audience won't know her. She was um, Honey West, which was a, a famous TV series in the 50s. Of course, Leslie Nielsen, we just talked about. Warren Stevens plays the doctor. He was Lieutenant Doc Ostro. Jack Kelly was uh, Lieutenant Farman. Richard Anderson was Chief Quinn. Those of you who watched The Six Million Dollar Man, and I know Spencey Dumpiece, you're somewhat familiar with him. We can rebuild him. Richard Anderson played his boss, Oscar Goldman. And then you had uh, Earl Holloman was the cook. Earl Holloman is another one of those character actors that you've seen in the bajillion TV shows and movies from the time, from that time period, I should say. 
You also had George Wallace and Robert Dix. Quite a few people on this uh, on this movie. We are just the going to gloss over Robert Dix. D-I-X people with, uh, it's a family show, so we're not going to entertain people with dirty minds. But Forbidden Planet, who is the one character that's not credited that stands out in your mind, Spency Dompies? Uh, none other than the critically acclaimed Robbie the Robot. Robbie the Robot, yes. And he shows up in many other movies. He's got a famous line. I rarely use it myself, sir. It promotes rust. That's a good line. In fact, I think they reused that line in uh, Gremlins. Was yeah. it Gremlins? Yeah, because the father's at the invention exchange there, and uh, Robbie the Robot's on the phone on the other payphone behind him. <laughs> yeah, Gremlins is a movie of references, so there's most likely, yeah. Yes. Uh, Robbie the Robot has also shown up in episodes of Lost in Space, and... Um, that's what I've known him as. Robert, he was a guest star in Lost in Space. That was my first experience with him. Yes, that, that was a good episode, too, because they find him, and I think Will Robinson rebuilds him, and he becomes sort of a rival. A rival? Rival? What the hell is that? A rival for their robot, the, um, the um, LIS robot, I guess. And um, it becomes a, a bone of contention between the Lost in Space robot and Robbie the Robot, and they end up having a showdown, the two of them, at the end of the episode. It also was good to humanize the main robot in Lost in Space, too, to kind of make him more relatable and show some jealousy. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, you felt you kind of felt bad for him. You, you kind of wanted to see this cool Robbie the Robot. You knew him from Forbidden Planet. He was in another film, too, which I can't think of off the top of my head, where he yeah. was sort of a main character, but... Um, the design is still out there. I personally love the design. I think Robbie the Robot is a cool character. Um, so this film, uh, one of the cool things about this movie is that you wouldn't have Star Trek without this film. Because if you think about it, with the exception of the cook, which was Earl Holloman's character, they don't have a cook in Star Trek, but you had the captain, the first officer, the science officer, the doctor, they all come down to the planet to deal with whatever's going on there. In this case, they're trying to find out what happened to the colony. And they come down and they find Walter Pigeon. And he's the only one left, him and his daughter. And it's kind of a big mystery as to what happened to them. Do you want to um, describe to us, Spency, a little bit more of the plot? Um, essentially, once the the people of Earth who have been in, I don't know, they've been on the strip for about a year now, uh, basically go down to the planet and they meet uh, Walter Pigeon. At, his name is Dr. Morbius. I'm just going to recite him as that. And his daughter, Altera. And there's a big mystery as to what happened to everyone else. And Dr. Morbius says they're all says they're all dead and that it's just him and his daughter left. So they don't understand why. And I'm drawing a blank now, but as to how it goes down. But Dr. Morbius shows off a lot of his technological advances. Uh, advancements, Robbie the Robot is one of them. Yeah, and he um, he has a defense system upon his house, and come to find out, he has been hiding uh, some technology that was found on the planet. It was like a, it's like a large bunker type that goes down for miles that he has been accessing and and basically experimenting with. And they come to a machine that basically advance. It's called the ID, I believe, and it advances your IQ, and it is supposed to basically. It's designed for another species other than human, but they've adapted it. And it increased his intelligence, and it ended up apparently killing the lead officer of the colony because when he tried to use it to increase his to intelligence, to increase his intelligence. Right. So they find that out, and um, a monster starts attacking the ship. An unknown, unseen creature basically attacks the ship. In, for, it, well, invisible. Right? Yeah, yeah, you can't you can't see it. it. Makes footprints, and there is no 
no trace of it besides that. And so they essentially, after a couple of days of murders and mystery, they set up uh, defenses around the ship. Like a Be- force field kind they of They set up a force yep. field and they have weapons ready. And as Dr. Morbius is asleep, the creature attacks. And through a series of investigations and talking to and coincidences and talking to Morbius and the captain, they find out, they come to the conclusion that the monster is Morbius's subconscious, his primal desires of killing. and from His id. His, his id. It's the id, the ego, and the superego. And the id is sort of the... What you really want to do yeah. with your life. Uh, upon discovering all the Krell technology and how Dr. Morbius has been using it, uh, the monster, basically the id, uh, starts attacking again, but it decides to go after Morbius. Liam ne- Did I just say Liam, Liam Neeson? Neeson? <laughs> you almost did. <laughs> oh. Leslie. Leslie Nielsen um, and Altera. Essentially, Dr. Morbius coming to the conclusion that it is a part of him that has been attacking him and endangering his daughter, he decides to deny the it. He, he says, I won't feed this creature anymore. And in reaction to that, it ultimately brings him to the brink of death, uh, ultimately killing him. And he says to Leslie Nielsen, uh, throw, the, th- throw the switch and it'll destroy the whole planet with all the power sources through the planet from the Krell. It'll destroy the whole planet. You got to be out in space in about 100 million miles away so it doesn't hurt you. Take my daughter and live and that's what they do and we see the planet blow up and that's the end of the movie right and you know i thought it was interesting that um the uh altera played by as we said Anne francis who is absolutely gorgeous in this movie um (laughs) she um she's so innocent in this film like she just swims around i think she there's a scene where she's swimming in the pool naked or something and she has no idea that she's naked, and they're like, "Oh my god!" And, yeah. Um, then she comes out, and and one of the crew members kind of hooks up with her, and they start making out. And Leslie Nielsen comes in as the captain, and he kind of orders the guy away, and he takes over, and he starts, you know, courting her for lack of a better term. And it's just interesting how you know the perceptions of of men and women back in the fifties was different than it is today. I think. Um, I think. I don't think if she didn't want to be with whoever she was with she wouldn't have whether it was the 50s or nowadays but it's just interesting how she's portrayed more as a commodity than an actual person until really until the end of the film yeah when when morbius dies so i think i think that's uh kind of evident of any given age like back in the 50s obviously it was more like that but still when she comes out when, with no clothes on to her, it's like, oh, it's whatever, because she lives on a planet alone. Right. So, but, and then everyone else is like, oh, we come from Earth. We have societal rules. And she's like. And the crew is all men. Yeah. And like, they, <laughs> and she, they've been on a year. Right. So, so to her, she's like, she's going about her daily business. To them, it's like, how, how, I don't, they don't understand the idea of living like that, living in such leisure. Right. Now, um, uh, this movie, I don't know if you know this, uh, Spency, but this movie, The Forbidden Planet, is based on, loosely based, I should say, on Shakespeare's The Tempest, which is a story, it's about, um, how do I describe it, There's the, you get the Sorcerer Prospero and the, the Duke of Milan, and the plot's about restoring his daughter Miranda to her rightful place, and he uses illusions and manipulation, um, he conjures up a storm, which is The Tempest, 
to cause to his usurping brother Antonio and the king Alonso of Naples to believe that they're shipwrecked and mar- marooned on an island. So there's this whole obfuscation of reality going on, and I, I think that's sort of where this film draws its its plot from. Is these people are uh, these people? When I say these people, I mean the crew of the ship that flies to the planet are looking for their lost colony. They're sort of obfuscated as to what's actually going on here, and mm. in fact, Doctor Morbius doesn't even know pretty much until almost the end of the film that it's his own subconscious that's sort of uh, taking yeah. control of everything. And it's 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 the monster that killed the rest of the colony. Yes, because on the planet. it was a um, it was Doctor Morbius's subconscious of his primal desire. So like when someone defied him or made him angry, essentially it they were targets of the id and that's the whole thing that's why his wa- his wife died of natural causes as portrayed in the movie and his daughter is still alive so clearly people he loved people who followed him and understood and listened and obeyed him did not suffer that consequence right um now a couple of things about this film too is um one is uh, we talked about the Star Trek reference here. In fact, Gene Roddenberry was quoted as saying that this film was a major inspiration for Star Trek. Um, in fact, Warren Stevens, who played the Doctor, guest starred in an episode of the original series of Star Trek called By Any Other Name. I think that was uh, 1968. He played the true shape of the alien Kelvins. Um, and there's a few references from this film that I'm going to mention. Spencey, don't piece. You're not going to get these references, but... The Krell, which is the name of the alien race, or at least the alien race that lived on the planet that the colony landed on, and that was the technology they had found. The Krell Corps is the main villains in an, what you would term as an anime. It was a Japanese cartoon from the 80s called, um, I think it was Dengard Ace. No, was it Dengard Ace? It might have been, um, yeah, it was Dengard Ace. And the Krell Corps were the bad, were the villains. In Dengar Ace. There was a show called Force 5 that we used to watch, and every day was a different cartoon. You had you had Dengar Ace on Mondays, Star Avengers on Tuesdays, Space Skateers on Wednesdays, Grandizer on Thursdays, and Guy King on Fridays. And on Monday's show, Dengar Ace, the villains were the Krell Corps. So every time I watched that cartoon, I thought of this movie. I'm like, the Krell? Why are the Krell here? You know, I should buy Krell and toothpaste. But that's a Monty Python reference that we're not going to go into. But um, the other reference that comes out of this movie is Dr. Morbius himself is a fourth Doctor Who, you know, the fourth Doctor. Mm-hmm. Those of you who watch Doctor Who at home, there are, you know, the Doctor, uh, whenever he dies, the actor leaves the role, they regenerate him, he becomes a new one. Right now, I believe we're approaching the 13th Doctor, which may or may not be a man. Um, it is not. It is confirmed. It is, oh, it's, is it confirmed? It is confirmed as a woman. Oh, interesting. I don't know the actress's name. Uh, the fourth Doctor is the record holder for the longest years running as the Doctor. He did ten years as... Seven years. St- I thought it was ten. No, it was seven. Seven years. Nonetheless, yes. he holds the record for the longest amount of years on the show as the Doctor. Right. I it was Tom Baker, and he, he resurfaced, resurfaced for the... Um, what was it? The three? No, it wasn't the three doctors. It was the day of the doctor. The day of the doctor, which had the war doctor played by John Hurt, and then David Tennant and Matthew Matt Smith. Yeah. Anyways, um, there was an episode called "The Brain of Morbius," and it was about this evil scientist. Well, he wasn't quite evil. He was sort of mad. Had his brain put into this robotic monster, and blah blah blah. So, the brain of Morbius from the fourth Doctor Who 
is a reference to Forbidden Planet. So you've got a lot of things that came out of this movie aside from just Robbie the Robot and the concept. And it's just funny to think about, you know, yeah, all these concepts are pulled from it, but yet it's pulled from The Tempest. So everything that we see is built upon things that came before it. Does life imitate art or does art imitate life? Exactly. Um, one of the things that I love about this film. Now, first of all, I, I wanted to mention earlier in the uh, podcast is that uh, we watched it together. The first time Spency Dompiece had seen it, I'd seen it, of course, many times. We watched it in the daytime, and I think that was a detriment to enjoying the film. What do you think? I suppose. I mean, I feel like prime time, 8 to 10, like a little darker out, a little shaded, depending on where you live and what season it is. But I do think any movie is a little better in the dark. So I suppose you could argue that. I don't know if I haven't seen the movie in, like enough times at different times of the day to really say so, but I suppose I could be argued. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I watched it again, I don't know, a week or so later and I watched it at night and it just reminded me of those days of, you know, being a kid and being home and watching the late night sci-fi and horror movie show. And it was just fun. And I was by myself and it was, I, I don't know. There's something, this, there's something that goes hand in hand with watching a lot of these older films when you watch them alone or you watch them late at night, there's a difference. It it really does make a difference. I mean, I suppose that's why we go to darkened movie theaters to watch a film. We don't sit there in broad daylight watching movies. We watch them in the darkened movie theater or at night at the drive-in. Mm -hmm. So I felt that the second viewing, second in terms of when Spencer had seen it and when I watched it with him, I liked it even better. I mean, I liked it. I liked this movie anyways. I, it's one of my favorites, but... I really enjoyed watching it late at night. I, I don't know, it was like 11 o'clock at night or something. And I really feel that if you're going to watch this movie at home, if if you don't mind the fact that we've already spoiled it for you, I think you really should just put this on as a late night sci-fi feature. I think you'll get a lot more out of it if it's just you and your kid or kids, whatever, gather around the TV and watch this film late at night. That's my opinion. And I'm sticking to it. Smooth. <laughs> uh, a few other things about this movie. It was filmed on the same soundstage that The Wizard of Oz, the Munchkinland Village was on. That was the set of Altera's Garden. Oh. Yes. And um, the model of the flying saucer, uh, that's the Earth ship, which I thought was interesting that they chose to have it be a flying saucer from Earth. Usually around that time, the flying saucers were coming to the Earth. So I thought it was cool that the Earth was like their ships were saucers as well. Um, they showed it. They used that uh, that model again in a Twilight Zone episode to serve man, which we're not going to talk about right now. But that's a classic. It's a cookbook. Oh, I'd have to ruin it because it is a cookbook. And um, Robbie the robot had a ground transporter and his crew uniforms. They were used also in the Twilight Zone. We're gonna have to talk about the Twilight Zone again. Um, different show, different podcast. What else? What else? Oh, Walt Disney Studios provided the um, animation effects with the laser beams. And literally, they, they took stuff like the creature itself. Mm -hmm. It was drawn onto the film or painted, yes. I should say. There was a point where when it, it, it was attacking the ship, there was an electric fence and you could see the outline of the creature, the invisible creature, you could see the outline of it trying to break through and trying to attack all the um, the shipgoers. And it had it was very large. It, I 
couldn't describe it, but it was very cool because you couldn't see you couldn't see anything except what was outlined. Yes. And so the creature itself was very kind of scary and large. Yeah. Uh, they, did, they did such a great job with it. I mean, when you watch it today, I mean, not even those scenes, but like when they go into the building where the Krells housed all their technology and their equipment and, and, and this, the floor just drops into the earth or into the planet and it's it's just enormous and it's these matte paintings but it works perfectly. You believe that they're in this giant building that goes down several stories into the ground. And, you know, I I, I find it, a vi- especially if you're watching it on Blu-ray, I find it a visual treat to see this film. Yeah, I definitely think it is up there for especially the time it came out. Yeah, 1956. 56. So it, the effects were very well done and well executed. They, they spent no... Uh, they spent no time, no wasting time for that movie at all. It felt like they very put a lot of effort into every little thing they did. There was even a moment where um, the laser was shot from one of the handheld guns towards an animal that was attacking them, and the just the effect was so looked good. It looked like a lightsaber. It, looked, it was that kind of well done effect on the whole thing that I right. thought was really good. Yeah, I agree. And um, it's funny, um, talking about, uh, back to Anne Francis for a second here, uh, she wore the miniskirt in the film, mm-hmm. and uh, which, you know, of course, is really fun to watch. But it was the first miniskirt in a Hollywood film which caused the film to be banned in Spain at the time. In fact, they didn't show it there until 1967. Wow. Yeah. So it was pretty conservative times, you know, and... Uh, the big thing was they asked uh, she was Anne Francis was interviewed and they asked her, you know, why was the film so successful with both the audience and the critics? And she said, well, from the first day that we were there filming it, we were told to take it seriously. And I think that shows in it. It's not cheesy. It's not. Um, I mean, trust me, I love B movies. I love bad movies from, the, you know, any era <laughs> for the most part. I don't like modern bad movies, but that's a whole other story. Anyways, um, films from this time period, though you could kind of not take them seriously. And the fact that all the actors in this movie, especially Walter Pidgeon, I mean, at the time, him and Leslie Nielsen were serious actors. Mm. And they took this whole thing very seriously. And I think that served well to make the film work. You could definitely see it. Like, there were actors who were better than others. Obviously, Leslie Nielsen, as a main character, was probably better than some side characters or some extras. But nonetheless, everyone there... It looked, it was well done. It looked very serious. The movie took itself very seriously throughout the whole thing. And it was, there was, there was no, there's no silliness to it. There, while the concept or anything like that could be argued as something less than real, there was no silliness in the whole movie itself. In the theatrical looking at it of it, it was very well done. And looking back, I mean, it makes me think of Aliens when the whole premise of Aliens is that the colony goes missing and they send out a team to find out what happened to them. It's the same premise oh, except I've seen that premise and a, a little more things. vicious you know <laughs> I've seen that premise in a thousand things in a to a, even a more modern sense than that uh, if anyone's ever heard of the game Dead Space it's a horror game and the, you play as, a, as an engineer who's going out to search see what happened to a lost colony right and you have to deal with the consequences right so and, uh, and you know it's kind of funny now this film just sort of um, is on the precipice of us actually having colonies in outer space here in the year 2017 as we uh record this podcast so i think it's kind of relevant and i think that people should revisit this film i don't think it gets enough credit i think there's just so much out there it's hard to 
you know, uh, wade through all that's there and all the crap that's there. I think this is a gem that's a hidden gem. Uh, and people should seek it out and especially show the younger generation. Now, Spencer, you being a young person yourself. I am. You are. I think you're 16 now, right? Since we've started recording. Damn, the big one six. The big one six. Better than the big six one, I guess. <laughs> Ironic, huh? <laughs> anyway, uh, so what do you what do you think overall? What's your opinion of this film? And do you think your generation and younger would enjoy it? Um... First of all, what's your opinion of this film? Looking at the whole movie, I felt like there was a lot of... The major plot point is the id and why the colony was missing. But there was a large section of the movie where it was mostly uh, like exposition, kind of explaining the Krell. And I, I could appreciate that. It, it did advance the, the plot of what happened to the, to the colony. You got to understand uh, Morbius' new technology. You met Robbie the Robot. But there were m- multiple subplots throughout. The cook actually had an encounter with Robbie the robot and trying to <laughs> come up with sixty gallons of bourbon. Right, and it was, and I could appreciate that, but it felt like it was very unnecessary. It very like it kind of. I felt like it kind of just took away from it because I wanted to see what was going on with the colony. I wanted to see, personally, I wanted to see the creature or whatever the problem was. I wanted to see Morbius explain more and kind of elaborate. And there was a lot of that missing. There was a lot of subplots with. Altera and kind of a love triangle between multiple uh, officers throughout the whole thing. And while it was amusing to watch throughout the movie, I felt like it just kind of personally, I felt it took away from it a lot of exposition. So it's a good movie. I enjoyed it. It's just that was kind of, I felt its major downfall was it tried to put so much into it and tried to put so much messages about so many themes and messages about life in it that it really kind of. The, it was like a reality show. You had to show, or like a soap opera. You had to show every scene progress. And I didn't really want to see three subplots with the main plot. I was okay with, of course, I like subplots. They're good. I just didn't think that it really pushed the movie as much as it really could have been. While the seriousness of the actors did assist the subplots, nonetheless, I felt like it really kind of didn't advance the movie as much as the uh, the main plot could because it felt like it ended abruptly like the ending was very like oh it's doctor we find out it's dr morris that's kind of the climax of the film and there's about 15 minutes left of an hour and 40 film and finally the climax happens and morbius just says i deny the creature and he 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 dies kind of on the floor it felt that that was really kind of a, a forced ending to me and so looking at it from a theatrical standpoint and as a new and as a younger person I can appreciate the effects growing up with older movies. Not, I, that doesn't really bother me. But the whole storytelling standpoint, I felt really kind of could have used some tweaking, personally. So, a good movie. Had some flaws. I would recommend it to anyone of my age group because it does bring up a lot of things of how you look at people, how you look at how the world also about perspective if you've never grown up on Earth and you're meeting men who aren't your father for the first time. It's and it's also it's very good. So I would say definitely you got to see it at least once so you can understand it. Um, yeah. So uh, when you say you got to see it so you can understand it, do you mean to understand it as a piece of history from its time? Yeah, there's definitely there's that. Of course, uh, I believe every science fiction movie is a time capsule for when it was made. So that right. definitely did bo- did boost that. I felt like it was a. Uh, if you're if you're into science fiction, it was very good, and along with, um, I've lost my train of thought for a second here. Hold on a minute. <laughs> uh, d- definitely from my age group, you gotta see it to to see how people lived a in the 1950s as just with how people react to things, and so you can also understand how that does 
actually really correlate to now. People say it's the 1950s, 60 years ago. So many things have changed. Not many <laughs> things have changed. People look at people the same way people do the same things as right. they do now. Like I've seen mirror be- mirrored behaviors in this movie and in movies that have come out today. Or in real life. In any way, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, I, I understand your assessment. I I kind of agree with your assessment to a point. I think personally for me, I've seen this film since I was a kid, and so I never really thought about those things. It's um, it's one of those things I just sort of accepted this film right from the get-go just because that's just how life was, and that's how the film was, and, you know, I never really thought about it. And I think you've, you're... You've brought an extra dimension to this film. You've thought about it a lot deeply, a lot more deeply than I have. And I think that's pretty cool because I think that's what a lot of us should do when we see films is is to look a little bit past the visuals and um, see what the filmmakers were putting forward. I think, though, while I agree that, yes, the plot is meandering, yes, they do sort of sit on subplots for a little longer than they should and then suddenly yeah they do kind of wrap it up at the end there i think that is i chalk it up anyways to the filmmaking of the time i think at the time they wanted to make a good movie and while all the actors took it all seriously i think the writers were kind of scared because it was new territory for them Mm. especially when they knew they were approaching it with a serious attitude i feel like they were worried they were worried about the outcome, so they kind of went with what they knew, and yeah. what they knew was melodrama. Yeah, and that's kind of what they focused on with this film, rather than the science fiction of the film. And I, I guess I can appreciate that when you say it as a period of when the time when it was actually made. If that, if multiple movies who are that are just as good as Forbidden Planet from the same time period are like that, then okay, I guess I can appreciate it. But also because you'll find like there are movies that you like that aren't really good right or, or they have Did like you major, see later in life uh yeah and um uh there was a movie it's called avatar the last airbender and it was by m night Shyamalan. Now, right this movie is based on a show and while the show is 10 times better i love the movie because seeing it as a kid i felt they did and even looking at it from a more um i guess adult standpoint even theatrically i thought they did very well but people will still say it is a terrible film but i personally love it to bits i can <laughs> you've seen this you've seen forbidden planet since you were i don't know very young obviously right. you've it's was before you were even and to me you, it's, you know it's flawless it's great yeah. it's fun it's, it's, it's it, it is the movie it's the movie exactly what you wanted yeah. but to me it's like i'm looking at it a bit deeper while i can appre- i love watching movies like two or three times because the first time i watch it i just want to appreciate it it's it's the movie just watch it for the plot enjoy it watch it for whatever it is and the, but then looking at watching it multiple times and reviewing it it you can kind of see more flaws and positives in the movie. Right. The seriousness was definitely a major positive that even some movies today are very much missing. Yes. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that. a lot of films don't take themselves seriously. And, you know, it, it, and that's okay, too. I mean, that works on certain films. But hmm. I think um, for the most part, you know, something like this is, I don't know. In my book, this is sort of cherished, serious science fiction that people should see. So I, I'm having a hard time just sort of stepping outside of that box and trying to be a little more objective, I suppose, than I should be. Yeah, you you're <laughs> you're a science fiction kid, so that is yeah, that is what you do. I'm a monster kid. I, I am a I'm actually I want, I'm not even gonna say monster kid. I am a monster kid. I love <laughs> movies like. Have you ever heard of um came out in 2013 Pacific Rim? Everyone I know hates that movie, but I love it to bits. I see it as I literally see it as flawless, ten out of ten. But you're a huge Godzilla fan to begin yeah, and with. Yeah, so. but that's my point is I'm looking at like I love giant monsters. 
monsters. I love creatures. I love scary monsters. I love right. Doctor Who style monsters. So to so stuff like that. Yeah. So stuff like that really is my field. So I so I kind of forgive a lot of things. So when you bring plot like um plot holes or anything <laughs> like that, I kind of just write it off. I'm like, oh, I don't want to think about that. Right. So it so it is kind of what you're what you're into. So if you're into science fiction, Forbidden Planet is definitely a a gem among it. But you can see some some kind of flaws in it. And looking at it from as a 1956 movie, the melodrama is now much more forgivable to me. Now right. that you brought that to my eyes, so it's so it is so in the movie. If you look at it from coming out 1956, very well done. Excellent. Very good. Excellent. So we recommend this film for younger audiences. I think the older audiences, if you haven't seen it, shame on you. Get it <laughs> and watch it with your younger audience, whether you're a parent or an uncle or an aunt or a godfather or a grandfather or grandmother or godmother, whatever you are, you're, you know, babysitter. Get this film and watch it with your younger audience. It's very family friendly. It's hmm. not, you know, we, we did say that she was swimming naked, but you don't really see anything. It's this very innocent, the whole scene. Yeah. Um, it's it's very well done, very well special affected. Uh, yeah. <laughs> touching <laughs> is that a word? Is touching that a upon special effects is my generation is very adamant about special effects. It needs to look yes. so real. Otherwise, the movie is terrible. Like, um, I was. In it's cl- very hard for young people to enjoy yeah. older films. I was in history class, and we watched a, a, his- a historical movie. Um, and it came out like, I don't know, the fifties or sixties, I forget the name of the movie, but it was, um, and the effects, I was like, Oh, I was like, Oh cool. This is exactly what I watch on a normal basis. And everyone else is groaning. I'm like, guys, this is really good. Think, <laughs> think about it in the time when it came out. It's right. like, that, that's how you need it. So message to anyone who's listening to this, who's of my age group of like in their twenties down to their teens, definitely forgive the effects because it is the best they had. And I still think it's good effects for what we have now. Think about it as like less than a. Seven hundred fifty million dollar budget, kind oh, of. Oh yeah. In fact, I I don't have it at my fingertips what the budget of this film was, but and even in nineteen fifty six, money was different back then. So you right. have to, you really have to look at it from what they had. I definitely think that coming out in fifty six and all of all of things like that, all those factors included, definitely the movie is really good. So forgive the effects if you're really adamant about good effects from the modern era. You have to really forgive them. And that's just sort of, you know, from my viewpoint, being an older audience member, when we grew up, we took what we could get. I mean, we had the Spider-Man TV series in the 70s, and that was awful, and the effects were horrible, but you were like, it's Spider-Man, and oh, look, he's on the ceiling, and he's swinging from that web, and oh, they're reusing that scene, but it's okay, because it looks like he's swinging from a web, you know. It's funny, because this film sort of supersedes a lot of bad films this film is really amazing special effects wise and Hmm. i think it stands out in the crowd and that's why it endures as a as a classic do you think so do you think this film holds up today if this were i wouldn't say it would come out but let's say it came out in revival theaters around the country do you think younger audiences would enjoy this film i definitely think it would have to be sold in a certain way. I definitely think it would have to appeal because the movie itself is good, but trailers today are very, they show you all the best scenes. I saw the, I watched the trailer for Batman versus Superman and I had seen the whole movie right there. I, right. I literally knew exactly how it was going to end. I knew exactly what was going to happen. And I watched, I walked in the movie and I was really disappointed at the trailer, not the movie. I was disappointed at the trailer. So you need to, if you're going to market it, you really need to market it as a science fiction movie and then you kind of, and then i guess to appeal to anyone who with who is more interested in more feelsy type things you're going to have to 
market some melodrama in it too, but not too much. Right. You really got to m- give it enough to make someone want to see it, especially from my age group who's very critical of everything. And this is not a, a slam-bam, you know, balls-to-the-wall action film per not se. At all. It's, not it's at all. more of a thinking man's kind of film, but not really. It's not... You know, it's, overly thinking. No, it's you don't have just, to. Ha- you don't have to have a, good story. a master's degree in anything to fully understand it. Right. It's, it. It is more about storytelling and plot lines over visuals. But the visuals order. are amazing. No, and yeah, and coming out in '56, the visuals are fine. It's just someone who's used to uh, Marvel movies where everything looks so real, and you could literally believe Spider-Man is swinging through the the buildings. That's that's what we're my point is us. the pacing. My point is the pacing of films are faster these days just I, I because suppose, of the attention span. Yeah, I definitely think that you're going to have to market it as a, a little faster than the movie actually is. Yes. But it I think it would it could be appreciated by people who are into science fiction and things like that. It would definitely I definitely think this movie would inspire anyone who's into science fiction things like older the older show Star Trek and the newer stuff would definitely come out of it have it with a new appreciation of older science fiction. Excellent. Excellent. Okay, so um, just to wrap up the show, uh, Spency, why don't you tell us if you've seen anything recently that what have you been watching TV or movie-wise? I have been. I've been basically keeping up on my shows. Of course, all the DC shows. The shows are better than the movies. <laughs> but um, I wa- I did see Spider-Man: Homecoming. Uh, oh, the, how was that? That was very good. I, I didn't. didn't I'm that. not going to say it was great. Just as a small review. Um, not my favorite Spider-Man movie. Tobey Maguire will always have a special place in my heart. Uh, but it was it was a good teen movie. It was definitely really wrapped around the MCU, and it did lead up to a couple more things in the whole series. And I was I was appreciative of it. Nice. Uh, so none. So that that was good. Um, what else have I been watching? Uh, I guess along the movie standpoint, that's about the newest. Did you see Wonder Woman? I did see Wonder Woman. How yes. was that? Wonder Woman was very was. It was a DC movie, so there it wasn't. It was a superhero movie, and that's all it was. But looking at it from like from enjoying Wonder Woman and as a as her kind of her origin story, I was very cool with it. I was very appreciative of it, following the story. Whereas Marvel movies are more than superhero movies. Uh, it would Wonder Woman was good for if you just if you just wanted Wonder Woman, you got Wonder Woman. Good, that's good. All you wanted. Yeah, I haven't really been to the movies. I saw Kong Skull Island in the movies this year. That's pretty much the only movie I'll probably see in the movie this year, with the exception of Blade Runner, the sequel to Blade Runner. I that is my all time favorite movie is Blade Runner. So I think I will make an effort to see the sequel. Uh, the we sequel, should go together. I've seen the trailer. It does look promising. I'm yeah. not gonna. Uh, it does have Harrison Ford in it. Yeah. So I do think the trailer. Well, so did Star Wars: The Force Awakens, and look how that turned out. <laughs> Star Wars is bigger than Blade Runner, though, so I will That's say that. True. But but I do think um, Blade Runner is real. It's it's Blade Runner twenty forty eight, so it's going to yeah. be a sequel and not a remake. So I really do have a have high expectations for how the movie is going to turn out in comparison to Blade Runner. I think we're going to have to do a Blade Runner show when that comes out because you've never actually seen Blade Runner, have you? Not all the way through. No, I no. I've seen bits and pieces of it, and I found it to be really really slow. Like you marketed it, to it me is as, as an action movie, and it was nothing like that. No, I've never no, I didn't market T U S an action movie. As a child, that's what I <laughs> that's what I found it as and it was very slow. No, it's it's yeah. it to me it's one of those movies, it's very slow. I saw that what was it, nineteen eighty two when it came out and I was twelve. I loved it. My parents <laughs> well, my mother hated it. And uh I enjoy the heck out of the film and that is my all time favorite movie. And it is slow. It's it's slow but it's not tedious, it's not boring. It keeps your attention Visually, those effects, 
much like John Carpenter's The Thing, which we're going to have to do a podcast on that too. Indeed. You can't, you they have yet to be paralleled. Oh, and yeah. I hope that the new movie uh, sort of lives up to that with the um, uh, practical effects versus the. It, yeah, Def- I definitely hope they do use practical effects over CGI in the in Blade Runner and yeah. in, in coming movies also. Although I will admit CGI does have its uses. Right, at, it does have its uses. At but. Godzilla 2014 at Kong Skull Island. <laughs> yes. I I will admit CGI when it's all CGI and I think it like kind of is kind of on things that are different scales, it definitely works. Right, right. Because um, CGI is also in practical and practical effects go hand in hand with John Carpenter's The Thing, but also the the Thing, the 2014 was it 2014? Yeah, where it came out with the Nor- what happened at the Norwegian base. Right. That I felt was they used practical effects and then CGI was all details. That's right. when it should have been used. That that was perfect for what I needed. Exactly. They they really did a good job with that in terms of using the practical effects, like you said, and then. Sort of filling in little details, little you know nuances with the computer effects, mm. that worked awesome, because right. th- th- that's a very good uh, underrated prequel, I should say. Um, yeah, it was. It, it, I felt it did. Uh, watching the thing, I've great fan of that movie. I didn't like it as a child because no. it was very <laughs> disgusting. But looking, watching it again, it was very good because I enjoy the gore now. Um, that definitely was a great uh, prequel. Did I did watch the deleted scenes, and it actually had scenes that I felt it needed just to keep yes. it as a prequel. Yeah, watching it from that standpoint. But other than that, the movie itself I thought was really good. And yeah, that's about it for everything I've been watching. I think we'll save some of that discussion yeah. for when we talk about the thing too in another episode. But um, I just wanted to mention I have been catching up on my TV series as well. Where at the you know we're uh, as of this recording, it's July. And uh, 2017, we've uh, the C- TV seasons are pretty much done. I just finished catching up on Supernatural. I've been trying to catch up on Gotham and uh, Supergirl. I'm already caught up on Arrow and The Flash. And DC shows are better than the movies. They are. The DC shows are so good. If you're not watching The Flash and The Arrow and Super, I mean Supergirl's good. I mean you could take it or leave it. It's it's popcorn entertainment, but I really enjoy it. Um, I did happen to catch. In fact, I think you saw it last night too. Was uh, the Chips movie? Oh, oh which. Dear. My biggest criticism of this film is that they took a family-friendly 70s action show and turned it into a rated R 21st century sitcom, or not sitcom, but comedy. We'll leave that where it is. I'm yeah. going to put a pin in that conversation. I That, that movie <laughs> that movie delves into a whole other topic that I have proceeded to rant about. You've heard this multiple times. Yes, I have heard this. And it, I, I will not open that can of worms no. today. I think we should discuss that in a future episode. Definitely. There's element, there are elements of this particular comedy that are uncomfortable for Spency Dome piece, and I, I think... I cringe. I cringe. Yeah. I, can't, I don't know why that's funny I think it's the, there's an adult nature to some of these comedies that come out that are just... Um, they're cringeworthy. Um, what else did I see? There was something... Oh, uh, well... Um, as many of you may know, uh, unfortunately, we had the passing of George Romero, who did, you know, Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead. He um, he's the father of the modern zombie, um, and also Martin Landau. They both sort of passed away on the same day. And Martin Landau was well known for being on the Mission Impossible TV series with his then wife Barbara Bain. They also acted together on um, the TV series Space 1999, which is a cool show about the moon. It's about moon base and the people in the moon base and the moon gets blown out of the Earth's orbit and somehow it manages to travel through the universe and encounter other alien races. 
Um, and he was also, uh, he was probably best known for his role in the film Ed Wood, where the film was about uh, the film director Edward D. Wood Jr., who was considered the worst filmmaker of all time. And he made um, Plan 9 from Out of Space, and, and uh, Martin Lando played uh, Bela Lugosi in that film. Hmm. He did a great job, won an Academy Award for that. Really? So, uh, in, in, well, I was just going to say, in honor of the fact that uh, Martin Lando passed away uh, at home, we watched an episode of Space 1999, which I didn't realize when I threw it in. It starred Christopher Lee. Oh, Oh, co-starred, I should that's say. That's nice. It was really nice. It was awesome. It was an amazing... That's an amazing show. We'll talk about that another day. So I am getting the sign here. We're going to wrap up this show for this week. Um, I think I will probably watch Land of the Dead soon or Dawn of the Dead. Oh. We're going to get the kids to see one of these films. I've, I've, I think they've all seen Night of the Living Dead, but they get Night of the Living Dead Dawn of very the Dead. good. Dawn of the, Dawn of the Dead is, is a great film. I, the zombie movies will be discussed on a later yes. podcast. Yes. We've opened so many cans of worms in the past 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah. I say we wrap it up here. I think we do. Yeah, we're going to wrap this up here. So I'm going to, um, yes, and I'm going to wrap things up here. We're going to give out our contact info one more time. Send us an email at thenisnow42 at gmail.com. You can either type us an email or you can send us an MP3 or a WAV file. We are on Facebook at facebook.com slash thenisnowpodcast. We've got some fun stuff coming fun stuff coming up in September. There's a, a Creature Double Feature convention coming up and Uncle Death is going to come there. But So that's it. That's this episode which was Forbidden Planet. We hope to hear from you soon and we're glad you listened. Thank you very much. Every clip in this episode is used for review purposes only and uh, no copyright infringement is intended. Thank you very much. Enjoy the day. I rarely use it myself, sir. It promotes rust.